That'd be awesome. No, uh, no, I think uh, it's good. I wish I could put my hoodie on. So. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I got mine on, man. So, yeah. Cool. Well, awesome, dude. So let's let's kick off this week's episode of the Hot Owl. Uh, I'm Brent Piotti, and uh, Brian's putting on his hoodie, as I can see. And Brian. What are you doing there, buddy? I didn't know we were allowed to wear hoodies to the podcast. So I, if, you know, Steve, you're wearing your hoodie and I was just, um, I was barely clothed. I'm actually not clothed from the bottom half since you can't see it. I'm like a newscaster and Steve is, is dressed in full business regalia. Apparently he's got to go impress somebody and it's not a developer. So I put on my hot yeah. owl hoodie. Did you know about the hot owl hoodies? Uh, I didn't, but I'll have to get one now. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Well, cool, man. We're going to introduce you in just a little bit, Stephen. So uh, the goal of the show today, though, is to, to, to further educate our listeners, uh, you all, on infrastructure as code and then virtualization of the entire IT stack with uh, with a drab, drag and drop interface. So uh, with us, we've got Stephen Silva, who is the founder and CTO of CypherPath. Stephen, how are you doing this morning? Great, guys. Uh, thanks for inviting me on to the show. I'm really excited to talk about what we're doing at CypherPath. Absolutely, man. So cool. So, Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into the role of founding a company and then running it from a technical aspect. Sure, that's a, a great question. So, I originally started my career at a national laboratory, and this was, you know, early 2000s. And while I was there, I was placed into the National Security Directorate, so started my career sort of in the federal security space. Specifically there, we were getting attacked quite heavily uh, early 2000s by what's become known as APTs, Advanced Persistent Threats and Zero Days. So while I was there, we were tasked with how do we get our nation's cyber warriors up to speed, you know, with protecting our critical infrastructure and fighting an adversary that is quite financially backed and targeting specific installations. And it was really there that I realized that, you know, through the process of developing software to sort of create the environments to do cyber warfare, that the IT stack was quite static and persistent, even if it was created with software itself virtually. Uh, or if it was static or physical. So um, I ended up moving out of the National Laboratory and starting my first company, a cybersecurity company called Zance, uh, and that grew. But while I was there, there was sort of two separate product lines we were working on, one um, towards more of a security perspective and uh, to really sort of on-demand being able to, to provide the entire IT stack. And so we took that other piece of technology uh, and started CypherPath with that. And from there, we've been growing uh, what we call the infrastructure container system. Okay, so and I can talk more about. Yeah, Steve, you, uh, yeah. Uh, you, ex you were explaining how what you were working on um, created the, um, the, the project you're working on today. And unfortunately, the internet decided to um, interrupt you. And so we, oh, had okay. a, we had a little bit of, um, it's probably somebody listening in. So hello, NSA. Um, so can you repeat the project you were working on and how it um, became what, what is CypherPath today? Yeah, and so, sure. We had sort of two product lines uh, at Zance. One was a security product uh, that we were focusing on delivering to actively protect uh, and proactively protect infrastructure. Uh, and the other one, uh, which helped fuel some of that, was the ability to deliver the entire infrastructure completely in software. 
uh, and there's a lot of value and benefits that come out of be, being able to do that. And so we took that piece of technology. I saw a much bigger vision there uh, to be able really to support production and enterprise IT uh, with that technology. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it looks like uh, you also worked at, at Mantech at one point. And the only reason I bring that up is I think we actually worked at that same company at the same time. I was there from <laughs> cool. 2009 until 2012. Um, I spent my time, though, deployed overseas with the Marine Corps as a, as a private contractor. So we probably never crossed paths other than I think it's a 30,000 person company. But interesting yeah. to see a small world, man. Yeah, absolutely. Really, my gig there uh, was will I, while I was building uh, Zance in the early days, they brought me on as a consultant, uh, specifically in their cybersecurity division, about the time the HB Gary stuff was kind of going on, and there was some need to do some more advanced research in cybersecurity, and so uh, I was able to help out with that. So Very cool. Awesome. So, uh, before we dive into the CypherPath technology, you brought up this uh, um, APTs or Advanced Persistent Threats, and uh, we do a segment every week called This Week in Tech History, and, and uh, I think it leads very, very well into that story. So um, in this week in October 1980, there was the first major ARPANET outage. So ARPANET was the, you know, the, the early days internet. Um, it was down for about four hours. And it was caused by corruption in network routing tables. Um, and I don't know anything about this, but I know you're a network guy, but it was a malfunctioning imp or an interface message processor. So interesting. And uh, I guess it kind of leads to just a couple of weeks ago, there was that huge uh, distributed denial of service attack at DIN that took down Twitter and and Reddit and a whole bunch of others. Um, what, what, what were some talks internally? Did you guys, did that reach top of mind for you guys and and what did you guys think about it yeah i think when it first happened shortly thereafter you know we received a few internal emails that we just kind of passed around to say you know that these attacks are still quite prevalent uh, and can you know cause major damage and when you look at it you know a, a ddos like what we saw uh recently there uh, you know, they can be quite sophisticated now. And so adversaries are getting stronger. They're, you know, they're getting more financial backing. And even if um, they're not there, they're able to collaborate together in such a way as to create such, create such a massive DDoS that kind of uh, can bring down the entire pipe. This is one of the, you know, solutions as well. If you have more bandwidth and you have a bigger pipe, you can resist some of these, these DDoS. It's not an optimal solution by any means. Uh, but it is one that's listed out there uh, in order to recover uh, and withstand some of these. But, you know, as you saw, you know, something as large as, you know, DYN, you know, uh, trying to handle that is very challenging. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned uh, before when we were kind of chatting uh, that, you know, it even based on what we know about your business and kind of what you're talking about, you said even internally your exec board kind of got together and discussed the, um, I guess, lessons learned, how it might impact your business. What were some of those thoughts that you guys had that you can share with us uh, about how something like this might impact your business or your customers? Yeah, I think the thing we really discussed was, you know, how do you prepare for something that, you know, you, you maybe wouldn't expect to actually get you uh, and be prepared to recover from it uh, as quickly as possible uh, and and better yet, be proactive against it such that, 
you can minimize downtime or minimize uh, any of the issues re- resulting from it. And so, some some of this came from some of the early work we were doing uh, with one of the federal agencies. Uh, and, and as you guys are probably aware through our website, you know, a lot of our traction is in the federal space right now. Uh, and we were working specifically with the financial institutions uh, when there was a what was called a reflective and amplified DDoS attack that was going around and targeting the financial institutions. And what that was was sort of a sleight of hand to you know come in and attack other critical pieces of infrastructure. And so what they would do is they would not only DDoS um, with uh, with a with just a straight DDoS attack, but they would also reflect it, amplify it. And uh, one of the things we saw there was the SNMP service where they would open up the packet, inject more data in the packet, and then send it on to the other SNMP servers, you know, sort of choking critical parts of the IT stack. And, you know, when we were working through that uh, and creating infrastructure to help uh, analyze it and figure out, okay, you know, how do we, how do we protect it? How do we, how do we look for it? How do we identify it within the noise of the infrastructure? Um, so I saw, sort of, and this was, you know, two and a half years ago, three years ago, that there was actually, you know, the FBI released an announcement about this happening to the institutions and so on. And then you see, again, so something targeting specific, you know, parts of a financial institution to now a DDoS capable of targeting, you know, large parts of the uh, Internet backbone, uh, you know, it becomes a very interesting problem. Yeah, it was a, and it, still. Yeah, yeah. It, it had massive impact to me because it took down my Wink Hub. Um, so not only did they use IOT to, um, create the attack, but they also, uh, ruined my IOT experience at home. I could not turn on my living room lamp. Oh man. So critical, (laughs) critical impact across the globe, um, or in my house. So let's break out some glow sticks. Yeah, we did, you know, (laughs) let's snap those and throw them around the ground and make sure the kids are safe as they, uh, as they play. So, um, you know, let's talk about, I mean, I love your security background. We could literally, I could just dive right into that. Uh, and just talk all day. The funny thing is what you've created is actually somewhat based on those thought processes as far as I can tell. So, um, you know, we want to kind of understand, you, you mentioned how you got to CypherPath. So were you and it was, uh, I believe, is Daniel uh, as your CEO, is that correct? Yeah, Dan- Daniel boy. yeah, he's our, right. our CEO. So were you guys sitting around in your suits on your couch, you know, watching like uh, House MD uh, and like said, <laughs> you know what, we need to create this thing or how did this thing come about yeah that i think that's a great question uh so really you know while i was you know working at zance and we had the two product lines we were working with a three-letter agency and it was through that uh and sort of this vision of hey you know we're reinventing the wheel constantly you know this this infrastructure is static you know there's a big problem here that needs to be solved as quickly as possible uh, and it was through that that I actually ran into Daniel um, kind of tangentially through another entity that we were working with, a financial institution. Uh, and he was there working on a cyber exercise that they do annually called Quantum Dawn. Uh, and they actually really needed our solution to sort of evolve what was going on there. So we were in early discussions on, you know, how can what Daniel's doing with 
that part of the financial industry work with CypherPath to go to the next level with that cyber exercise and the things they were doing uh, to prepare the financial institutions. And the the rapport was just very, very strong there. Uh, I loved, you know, his background. He really loved the technology and what we were doing. And so at that point, we just kind of came together. That's awesome. So let's get into what uh, CypherPath is all about. So um, I, you know what? You're the expert. You probably, uh, matter of fact, you put your suit on today so that you could go pitch it, I'm sure, to somebody. So <laughs> yeah. um, tell me, you know, tell me kind of in a nutshell what it is that CypherPath is trying to do. Sure. Uh, so currently in the IT industry, uh, you know, there's been this push over the last decade with agility um, and being able to very quickly respond specifically to DevOps and applications and services and, you know, how do you respond at the speed of business? But one of the things that's, that's been left kind of relatively static and persistent is the IT stack itself. So what you see in IT today is some form of a, of a stack, whether it's physical or virtual, uh, that you build in order to run applications. And then on top of that stack, you'll sit you know, either direct applications to operating systems or you'll run some kind of app container runtime like a Kubernetes or a Docker, uh, you know, or a Mesosphere or so on uh, to orchestrate and manage your applications. However, that's separate from the IT stack and the IT stacks sort of left there uh, in a non-persistent or in a persistent state. So what we looked at is said, okay, how do you continuously deliver the IT stack if the majority of the tools leave that stack persistent, even if it's in software, there's no way to sort of um, make it portable, make it collaborative, make it fast, make it agile. And so we're taking similar concepts to application containers, you know, software containers, and containerizing the IT stack itself in a way that now it can be composable, uh, movable, uh, collaborative, and all kinds of cool new capabilities come out of treating the IT stack as a container itself, a complete infrastructure container. So what is the, um, I, I've been reading up on the, on the product too, and I, I saw that there was a release of infrastructure as a file. Talk to us about what that means. Sure. So one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to make infrastructure so simple, and we kind of joke internally about it at CypherPath, but so simple, Betty White could do it. Um, and so our focus there was to sort of get the infrastructure in a way that people without all the skills could deliver in an entire IT stack further to make sure that as infrastructures moved between different pieces of an enterprise, uh, you know, whether it's development, whether it's operations, whether it's production, that they could guarantee from the the commodity hardware, the metal, all the way up to the application or service, that entire IT stack. Uh, is exactly what's expected. So just like traditionally with, you know, virtualization technology for single machines like, you know, a hypervisor where you can gold image an operating system or gold image some specific piece of your IT stack, we wanted our customers to be able to version and gold image their entire IT stack from, you know, the metal all the way up. And being able to do that, then they can lifecycle uh, the infrastructure a move to an ability where now you're treating your infrastructure just like a file, just like a Word doc. You can share it with each other just like a Google doc. You can collaboratively edit it uh, and you can interact with it, you know, as a single file rather than all these independent pieces. However, you can break it up into multiple pieces just like, you know, with a Word doc. You can have 
different documents, different files, you know, maybe collectively they're in some folder. Uh, but in the end here, what we're saying is, you know, let's make the infrastructure modular, but let's be, let's deliver infrastructure on demand, uh, even traditional and legacy tools, you know, a lot of inter uh, enterprise and production IT teams, they depend on commercial tools that has millions of lines of code that just aren't going to be ported to an app container just yet and run just as an application. They have different operating system kernels, different dependencies. So wouldn't it be great if we could put all these uh, tools together in a contained environment, package it and execute it, regardless of what commodity hardware you use, whether it's on-premise or out in the cloud somewhere? So, uh, you know, a lot of what you put together, right, we're talking about things like containerization and, you know, basically, uh, you know, managing the app layer, doing infrastructure as code and all these kind of things. There's a lot of businesses out there. I mean, you know, there's a ton of them. None of them, unfortunately, have three letter acronyms, so we can't joke about that. But, you know, the, the, <laughs> the I mean, everybody says this, right? So Docker is talking about it. Google has, the, you know, stories around it. Um, Mesos, all these people have stories around it. Is your, is your, um, you know, your solution, a basically an expansion of one of those that you've then hardened and put things around, or is your solution a net new experience? In other words, it looks like its own hypervisor, but maybe underneath the covers, it's actually a, a fork of Docker or something to that effect. So what, tell us about kind of what you've done here. Yeah. So really, uh, it's the latter, it's the net new, um, solution. And we started, working from the inside out. And that was, you know, really sort of the vision was that the architecture was fundamentally broken uh, and the approach was, so we couldn't come along and just scoop things up and glue them together and orchestrate them in order to deliver a full IT stack at scale across commodity hardware. So we really started with the, uh, you know, started at the operating system level saying, you know, there are cool things that, that Docker and app containers are doing, like OS-level virtualization. Uh, and we said, hey, those similar concepts apply to the IT stack. Uh, and so really in our operating system at the kernel level, each infrastructure container itself is its own namespace. So uh, just like in an application container, the, the kernel is sharing uh, its application kernel space, uh, its operating system operating system kernel space with the applications that are containerized. Uh, we're doing it, but we're, we're separating that namespace individually for every single container. So we can ensure that at the infrastructure level, we're highly secure um, from an isolation standpoint. Uh, CypherPath isn't saying that if you run a tool inside an infrastructure container and it's on a network, that it's going to be secure, you know, specifically if it's Windows or some tool that's comparable, you know, constantly compromised. However, if it's not on the network and it's isolated, we guarantee whatever's running inside that infrastructure container can't leak out at the code level. So we're using similar concepts to what you would see in an application container, but we're, but we're introducing this, this piece of let's use the whole IT stack. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So you can introduce legacy and traditional tools that maybe depend on virtual hardware. So yes, we do have the ability to create virtual hardware in our infrastructure containers uh, and provide dependencies for operating systems to execute on. But we're also providing a space where the entire network switch and the entire router and all the configs are also in that namespace in our kernel. And then that's being transparently delivered across the entire physical stack of server gear uh, in the data center or on-prem. 
And so we wanted to make it very, very simple for customers to just right away zap their commodity hardware, get CypherPath on it. Then we you know, cluster that hardware together into a set of resources. But then fundamentally, we're shifting to say, don't just run one IT stack with some specific application and services on top, uh, maybe specifically to run app containers you know, future-proof yourself and deliver the tools that you depend on today in as many IT stacks as you need and composably, uh, you know, manage your infrastructure stack in a way that you can keep it isolated, you can be collaborative with it, you can deliver it on-demand and all, all those cool capabilities of treating the entire IT stack as software sort of surface. Uh, and that was really our, our focus there was to work inside out all the way from the commodity hardware up to the service and application across many IT stacks. Cool. So you brought up earlier the the ability to respond you know, quickly at the speed of business and do it securely. Um, and then and this notion of kind of like a, a continuous delivery pipeline. Um, so I guess my question is, are you looking at the infrastructure stack in addition to the application stack in some sort of CI CD pipeline that's constantly kind of changing to deflect any any attack vectors uh, and reduce security threats? I think that's a great question. Really, we, we decided to stay a little bit lower. Uh, you know, we sort of draw the line at the operating system level uh, or, uh, you know, at the early, you know, application container level. Uh, so we provide the infrastructure for the the networking, the switching, the configs, any dependencies you're needing for legacy or traditional tools, uh, you know, like virtual machines. Uh, and we hardware accelerate those. But the networking and the routing and all that is done directly on metal in our kernel. Uh, and the reason there was is many different customers, you know, have chosen different tools. Each IT operations department and production team sort of has the tools they've trained on and exercised on and are familiar with and further that the enterprise has purchased and, and spent uh, funds on. And so we wanted to, to enable them to bring those tools in. And what I'm getting at is, you know, some customers, you know, maybe they had already wrote a lot of chef scripts to orchestrate their infrastructure. Another customer, maybe they chose Puppet. Uh, another customer wants to use Quali uh, and so on. And so we, we really wanted to empower them to bring in the tools, even if they're open source. You know, if they, if they want to use PFSense, they can use PFSense for their firewall. If they want to use Palo Alto Networks and they spent funds on Palo Alto, they could do that. So we were really looking at, you know, how do we empower the customer to bring the tools that they use every day in their production enterprise IT now, but give them a space to deliver that all on demand continuously, uh, all in software. And so... That was really sort of the focus of why we've chosen to draw the line where we do uh, and and let them use the tools they want to do to orchestrate and do things beyond that uh, in each individual IT container, infrastructure container that they deliver with CypherPath. Okay, so you talked about the customer being able to kind of stick with what they know and what they have to some degree. Um, how are you interfacing with you know, network devices and, and different commodity servers and things like that, RESTful APIs, CLIs, like what's the methodology yeah. Um, yeah, that you're able a, to, to kind of orchestrate everything? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So it's sort of a combination of both. So we, we obviously have our own RESTful API to drive the infrastructure containers and the things that are built for integration. 
inside an infrastructure container, if it's an operating system you're running, maybe you need to run Windows XP. I know that's really old, but you know, surprisingly, there's still some enterprises using it. <laughs> you know, maybe you need to run Seven. Maybe you need to run an Exchange server, uh, and so on. What we provide is the ability to access their desktops, you know, from your client machine through our web use web interface, as well as we give you the the uh, credentials to access it uh, from your local machine directly without going through CypherPass UI over the network. So we sort of bring the VDI. Uh, virtual desktop infrastructure in for those tools. Tools like Cisco or Aristo or switches or routers, um, you know, that typically have their own command lines, you would access those as well and be able to interact with them. So essentially what you're doing is you're using the tools that you're familiar with. You're just using them now inside of a contained infrastructure where, um, you know, you access them and you drive them based on the user interfaces that those tools had provided and expectations that they set forth. So it really simplifies, um, you know, your ability to use the tools and to use the framework now to to deliver the entire IT stack. And so you've talked about a lot about people leveraging their existing skill sets. We see a lot of existing skill sets around those big names like, um, you know, VMware uh, around Hyper-V yep. and things like that. Is there, um, is this architecture intended to be able to then nest a hypervisor below, you know, inside the container and then scale that out and be able to leverage it like you would a traditional infrastructure? Or is it now a replacement for that experience and the tools that they're using are at the application layer rather than the infrastructure layer? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So yeah, actually we have our own hypervisor built in. Uh, and so the way that CypherPath works is you carve out a new infrastructure container and essentially, at that point, you can bring in anything you've built with another hypervisor. Uh, so we're compatible with all the popular hypervisor formats, you know, VMDK, VDI, VirtualBox, Hyper-V, so on. We wanted to make it so easy for customers just to bring their tools in. They've already got them out there, but now run them as part of an infrastructure container. So you literally just upload them directly into CypherPath, and now they become available to CypherPath to use as part of that infrastructure. So when you're designing and developing uh, infrastructure in CypherPath, we literally visually do it. Uh, and there's a toolbox where all your tools exist that you've given to CypherPath as well as tools CypherPath provides, for instance, our uh, software switching and routing and so on. So you can literally design, just like in Visio, your entire IT infrastructure as a topology. So you bring those tools into CypherPath, they now become available for you to use and design. You can drag them in and drop in you know, drag and drop essentially designing just like in Visio a, a network diagram, but it's your real infrastructure. A lot of times you go to a production or enterprise IT and you say, Hey, what what does your infrastructure look like? And they get out a napkin and a pen and start writing it out. Um, so one of the feedbacks we've gotten early on from our customers is sort of, you know, what they like to call, quote, a landscape kind of view. Uh, we call it a topology view uh, of, you know, the entire infrastructure. And we don't really um, consider that some of the industry calls that like a blueprint. Uh, we try to stay away from blueprint because it in, it 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 kind of says that it has to be defined up front and then executed where we're dynamic, meaning that you can literally have pieces of that infrastructure running different networks, different assets in the topology running while defining new pieces. It's not a define it all up front and then execute it. So we really view that as, you know, 
essentially a WYSIWYG interface of your infrastructure. You know, what you see is what you're going to get out of your infrastructure. And so you bring those tools in and you're able to then very, very quickly drag and drop them together. And the networking is automated uh, under your control. So what I'm getting at is if you drag, for instance, a Windows 7 machine onto our onto one of our networks, the the interface is going to be automatically configured to that network. It's going to be automatically set to, to talk on that device. And there's no going in and running scripts and hand jamming. Uh, at that point, it's literally ready to go. And so as you define these infrastructures, you can have very, very large infrastructures that just start with the push of a button, the entire IT stack. And we execute that at scale by parallelizing it. So, you know, the startup time at any size infrastructure, barring that you have enough physical resources, and I can talk more about how we're very efficient on the physical resources at some point, at scale in under 20 seconds. And that's because... Um, the larger you build your topology, we're going to go out and we're going to spread that across the physical hardware. So to you, you're, de- you're delivering these tools in a topology, one logical topology, but behind the stack, CypherPass operating system may be placing those individual assets on different physical servers in the rack. Cool. Yeah. So um, just to, to kind of reiterate what you said and, and the fact that it is pretty easy, I, I spun up a, a hosted environment, demo environment. Uh, last night and kind of went through the went through that demo pretty simple set up two two um, ubuntu servers with uh, um, some network and routing and then just uh, pulled up the cli and, and was able to ping them so certainly easy uh, with regards to the toolbox um, i did see you know it was kind of pre uh, pre-integrated tools in there i saw things like databases for instance but what i heard you say is that you had the ability to add additional tools into that toolbox what what have you seen customers add into that that toolbox each customer kind of operates almost godlike in their own environment so some of them have their own gold images but i've seen you know everything from you know different firewalls different operating systems um different database solutions uh as well as you know we we're used in the dark space uh, in some places as well. So there's tools there that I'm sure I don't even know what's being used in there. Um, but yeah, so basically any sort of tool that uh, you would expect, you know, whether it's an operating system, an application, a service. Um, so we we often see a lot of, uh, in our space, enterprise tools that actually, you know, have their own vendors and own software licensing, you know, um, from there specifically when it comes to firewalls, uh, comes to operating systems, uh, you know, comes to databases and tools that the enterprises have built their businesses around, those come in uh, and then are leveraged to very quickly, you know, develop new uh, infrastructure stacks to meet new services or to do development or to do tests uh, or to, you know, build private clouds out of those tools. So speaking of clouds, uh, you, I mean, we've mentioned private clouds, and it's pretty obvious where this fits there. Um, from a public cloud perspective, is you know, it sounds like you've said there is an opportunity there to be able to leverage this. Um, what is that experience like, or where you know, how does this work when somebody may have to leverage resources that are not their own, somebody else's computer? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. We sort of see the this next year is sort of a push and and you guys may be seeing it as well to start leveraging more and more bare metal uh in the public cloud 
And so you're seeing services like IBM Softlayer, Rackspace on Metal. I know September 20-something Oracle announced their Metal Cloud. Uh, and now Amazon has announced a partnership with VMware, and they're delivering Metal uh, directly. But the idea here is that you can consume the Metal uh, in a cloud and run whatever tools you need to directly on it. And so CypherPass sees that really as you know the direction where somebody who doesn't want to manage their server, doesn't want to manage their commodity hardware, can order hardware just like you can a VM today off the public cloud and, uh, and run uh, directly on the metal. And so CypherPath really is a, a operating system. It, it goes directly on the metal, consumes it, and runs it. However, if, if you're able to you know, get access to those servers... Uh, you know, whether it's Softlayer or, or Rackspace or so on, uh, you know, you can spin it up, put a, put CypherPath on there, and now you can run any IT stack that you want on demand all in software. That could be, um, you know, uh, it could be an applica application container stack. It could be a, a Windows Enterprise environment. It could be, you know, a, a DevOps environment and so on. Um, so you're not limited, and now you don't have to go back and reconfigure your underlying IT infrastructure. You need a new new IT infrastructure. You just spin up a new container. So uh, you've you've explained a lot of really cool things, and clearly um, you've mentioned you know you got a lot of three letter agencies. Uh, I saw a couple of universities who maybe they're doing um, three letter agency research or something like that. So um, your customer list right now seems really clear, um, and 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 in those environments the sale's probably not too hard because it's like, hey, we're making this segmentation that you expect pretty easy. Uh, in, the, in the traditional world, in the kind of traditional enterprise, I'm sure you have uh, goals to expand there. Um, you might run into a developer or a per another person in a, uh, in a uh, hoodie, and they say, well, first of all, um, the segmentation that Docker already creates is plenty, um, and we don't need network segmentation uh, you know, it might even be the same argument that NSX gets from VMware of like, you just don't need that granular segmentation. So first of all, are you looking to move towards traditional enterprises with your architecture and sales? And then second, how do you answer those arguments that you might get from kind of the traditionalists? Yeah, I think those are, are really great, great questions. And I think, yeah, we, we are, you know, moving towards, you know, being able to target production and enterprise IT teams uh, today. Uh, as as well as into the future, you know, being able to deliver, you know, application containers as well. And, you know, that, that race is still ongoing, you know, between who's really going to own the majority market share there. On the traditional side, you know, enterprise IT, and I know that a lot of the application containers really want to break down those barriers, um, you know, and be able to deliver enterprise production IT. And they're beginning to do that. So, you know, in, in the cases where you're a startup or you're an enterprise that has a single application, it's a lot easier to kind of make that migration towards an application container space where uh, where now you can deliver, you know, your your solution as a, you know, as a single entity uh, on demand. However, the the traditional legacy enterprise teams, you know, they're very diverse in what their infrastructure is in order to support their customers. And so we sort of see us being able to bridge the two worlds together where, you know, you can deliver any IT stack. You don't have to choose and lock yourself into one architecture uh, and deliver it all on demand and software. So as we move forward in time, you know, our vision really is to continue to scale out that IT stack, deliver it in software, 
Now, when it comes to, um, you know, the saying of, well, you know, I, you know, I don't need these other tools and I really want to trim away. Uh, the argument there really is that, you know, the RAM is RAM uh, and the physical resources are physical resources. Rather, you decide you want to run an operating system. And some of the things we're starting to see in the application container space that's interesting is, uh, you know, now, now you're delivering an app container that is an operating system as well using system calls back. So now you have an operating system running a container runtime running an application container that is an operating system in order to have the dependencies to deliver the application in the application container. So as we're looking at how that grows over this year and how at what level can we truly isolate the applications from the operating systems and how does the underlying physical resources get consumed, I think is going to be a very, very important thing. Because in one space, you know, you can allocate a certain amount of your resources to your operating system, even if it's virtual. But that same amount, say it's two gigs, could be allocated to an application container that's running, you know, bit mining, you know, for instance, uh, and doing something there where it needs a lot of RAM up front. So in the end, all these solutions are beholden to the underlying infrastructure. But if you want to have the most flexibility and the ability to run, you know, be prepared for tomorrow, be prepared for today, uh, and migrate uh, and be comfortable across your IT stacks, having a solution that lets you run any infrastructure on demand, all in software, gives you that ultimate platform. And once it's done, it's not like you have to reinvent the wheel. You've built that infrastructure. You can stick it up on the shelf. You can back it up. You can hand it out to others. You know, you can move it between on-prem and public. And so that flexibility there just becomes a huge, huge time savings for the companies and enterprises that really need to have agile, secure, fast infrastructure. And so, you know, like, like my questions now, you kind of mentioned it, is uh, the architectures today in some cases are like rusting, uh, 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 nesting Russian dolls of architectures, right? Like you kind of mentioned, it's <laughs> yeah. keeping, um, now if somebody's deploying that exact same experience on your, um, your architecture, there's even a further level of abstraction um, because you've kind of isolated them into a single uh, OS experience inside of a single container, uh, a one-to-one -one relationship there. And as that scales in, in the world of like modern applications where you simply want to scale it, hey, I want to go from five to 1,000, uh, there's a lot of individual scale underneath. And that's common in other architectures as well. Um, what's your explanation to people of where that complexity lies as you scale like that? And then also, is there a is there is there a break point for that? Is there a place where it just doesn't work? Yeah, I think um, you know that the real key as you're scaling and and you're building out you know the infrastructure is really what what pieces can we automate uh, and can the system begin to handle now? You know, you you rewind ten years ago, you know SDN wasn't prevalent. Networking was you know relatively done as physical devices. You know, now we're seeing the decoupling uh, of the control plane and the da data plane. We've seen that for, you know, for years. You, you mentioned NSX and so on. So we have elements of the IT stack that we can really, really control in software now at scale. Uh, so wouldn't it be nice if, you know, you're building your IT stack, your infrastructure, you know, to have the system control that at scale against many, many other infrastructure stacks. And that's one of the things from our early adopters, you know, you mentioned the, the three-letter agencies in the space that came out, was really, you know, when you're delivering these IT stacks at scale, you know, how do you manage the resources? And so 
one of the ways Cypherpath handles it is in two ways. You know, we sort of look at the resources available to the physical hardware against the containers, and we dynamically can see all that in software, whether it's the compute, whether it's the networking fabric, you know, given our SDN capabilities or the storage resources that are available and we can leverage that hardware to be very very efficient uh you know and and use concepts from you know hypervisor only deployments like over committing but applying that to a collection this is when you're looking at the it stack not just from a machine or not just from a single network but saying hey this is my whole infrastructure and you're saying, I have this whole infrastructure and I just want to execute it and run it across the metal. We can do really cool things like map reduce um, and reduce, you know, the amount of overhead and, and how things perform across the physical hardware. And so we really wanted to, to sort of take those concepts and what we do and apply that at scale across all the servers, you know, as you grow. And some of the areas where you start to run into contention uh, with like some of the you know hyperconverged solutions, where now you're also bringing storage into each server. The storage now is also sucking CPU to do deduplication. So, are your CPUs dedicated to the to the workloads and to the infrastructure, and or now do they also have to support static storage and deduplication and things like that? Uh, Cypherpath's view of that architecture should be that commodity hardware for your workload should be free. They should be able to run the IT stacks, run the workloads, and let storage be really, really great at what it's doing. And you know, we're working with some early partners uh, you know, who are really, really great at storage. For us, we see that as the two separate stacks, even though they're converged, can grow independently and be commodity. You need more storage, stick more storage in the rack. You need more compute, stick more compute in the rack. And so at scale, you know, you're managing the physical scale that way, um, but then you're also ensuring that the hardware is focused on what it's really good at under each of those use cases, as well as then the services, you know, orchestrating and managing all that uh, need to grow as well. And that's where you, you mentioned, you know, what kind of conflicts would you see? At that point, the obvious thing is, you know, looking at IOPS and, and the, uh, the bottlenecks of, you know, communication across the servers and, you know, how, how do you manage that? In our case, you know, we, we enable our customers to scale and, and break that out so that, you know, each connection is, is able to be clearly uh, defined and separated so that there's no traffic overriding, you know, against its specific purpose. Uh, and so, but as you scale, you know, you really want to create that, that hyperscale environment using that hardware and, and managing um, any bottlenecks related to the pipes or the networking and so on. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you have uh, hyper-converged deployment models, um, there, there are risks in sharing that CPU and scaling where you have to consider your, your architecture. Um, so it yeah. sounds like you've brought a vast majority of everything to the table, and you have networking, but you also can partner with certain networking partners. Um, and so we, I would like you to educate us on who some of your networking partners are. You mentioned Palo Alto earlier, um, but also who, who your other infrastructure partners are. are. You Have you had people where you know, you're, you're kind of already to the table with them and you have existing relationships um, as far as software defined and things like that? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. So really right now the partnership where we're the, we're the strongest with is on the storage side, um, working with you know, all flash storage vendors like Tejile, um, who are very, very good at you know providing speed on the storage side and scaling. For us, what we look for is just the NFS connection. So um, we do have some customers that deploy 
uh, open source solutions if you know they're not running you know a production or enterprise use case then they just want to run infrastructure containers for testing and so on as well as free nas or other tools but you know we, we also uh work with hedwig um which i'm not sure if you guys have heard of but they're a, a fairly new company uh as well uh doing quite well um, but they're really software-defined storage, and, and the thing that's really unique about our relationship with them is they see the world the same way we do uh, on the compute workload side to the storage side, where they're saying, hey, we can scale out storage on commodity hardware. We're also working with companies like Quali, who you know are very, very good at doing that. You mentioned DevOps, you know, continuous integration and continuous testing, and they bring this arm of being able to also uh, loop uh, hardware into sandboxing where they can re- reserve hardware and they can, you know, bring in the scripting and automated test for DevOps. And then in our case, you know, we're providing that infrastructure stack under the hood uh, all in software for them. So we, we've got some of these. We're also working, you know, um, early on, you know, I'm under NDA still with um, some of the application container companies, but uh, one one of the big ones, you know, we're we're very very close uh, to doing an announcement with them. So, um, you know, we're we're working with the right partners. We really see, you know, that it's collaborative. And, you know, talking about the application container space, they really see the value of what we're doing. You know, by containerizing the infrastructure and delivering the whole being able to deliver a whole container deployment on demand um, as very, very valuable to them. Uh, so I think, you know, the future there is, is really bright for the two kind of coming together. Maybe it's more like, you know, uh, chocolate meets peanut butter and you get Reese's or something like that. So It, it, yeah, it cool. is Halloween, so, you... so it's important to talk about uh-huh. candy today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so uh, you, you brought up like Tejal, for instance, and specifically regarding NFS. Um, and then you also, you know, previously in the conversation, we talked a lot about legacy infrastructure and things like that. Um, you know, I would say in, in legacy or traditional, we see a lot of, you know, fiber channel sands. Um, how does that fit into your worldview? Yeah, I think that's a really important thing for us. Um, specifically, we we love since our operating system goes on every um, server. It's nice to boot from SAN uh, over something like Fiber and spin the servers up very very quickly that way. Um, but in the end, we really wanted to simplify the storage management um, for our customers. So the way CypherPath function is, we actually create uh, an NFS root folder that the entire deployment can share uh, and can be organized around. And what's important about that is is essentially we treat that and we encrypt the data and so on um, given our security. Um, but that essentially becomes sort of the central hard drive to the entire deployment. And what's cool about that, and we have some customers who do this who can leverage their same hardware you can essentially point CypherPath at a different root folder, and now all of your hardware becomes that deployment. So it's kind of like swapping the hard drive out of a tower, right? You pop the Windows drive out and put the Linux one in, and you can run it. Um, we're doing that same thing, but ensuring you know the read and writes and everything are managed uh, across the NFS protocol. And with NFS v4, a lot of the deeper API integrations you would see between just like, you know, your old legacy hypervisor and the storage being automated, you know, a lot of the copying and writing and different um, 
processes there can further be offloaded to these storage devices, just leveraging a standard NFS protocol. And so since you brought it up, um, I'm you know, morbidly curious as a, you know, Brett and I both have security backgrounds. You've said that you've heavily isolated workloads, networks, and all these kind of things. Uh, and even with encryption, I mean, we all know encryption, especially with the three-letter guys listening, is only as good as you know, whoever <laughs> yeah. has the, the doors into it. Um, how can you uh, explain to a customer or me as a consumer why it's okay to have all the data in a shared uh, situation versus everything else being so heavily isolated? No, I think I think that's a great question. I think first of all, the the storage obviously is going to be you know on prem where the you know hardware is you know so that we're not traversing it, and that could be on prem you know with with your servers or it can be you know on prem at the public cloud um, level. So it's there, and then behind that, accessing that storage really you know over the network that's going to be on our command and control network. So the storage isn't broadcasted directly, you know, just natively from the storage system out onto the internet. You'll have to log into your CypherPath account, get access, and then within there, you know, then we're going to decrypt the data that we're interacting with, you know, the infrastructure containers and so on, and interact with the data. So getting to the data really, you know, is kind of no different than, you know, data behind a, a virtual machine only solution or a physical server that, you know, you have to SSH into and, you know, some, somehow you have to get a connection over the network uh, and you have to be authenticated. So, um, you know, if somebody hands out their username and password or something like that, obviously, um, you know, there's going to be a compromise from a credentialing system that way. But ideally, we wanted to set up a defense in depth approach where, you know, you had to have network access, you have to have credentialing. Um, and then once you're inside there, you have to have the appropriate usernames and passwords for the resources you're using inside an infrastructure container. So really getting at the data requires, you know, on need requires physical access to the storage. Uh, and even if you do get physical access, the data on there now can't be read unless you know you're going through the cipher path runtime and it's you know decrypting it okay so you talked about you talked about container resources specifically um is there a notion of um of auto scaling within your within your infrastructure utilizing the bare metal components because you know if, if if i think back to the demo that i did you applied cpus and memory to to like workstations, for instance. Um, what if we needed more of that and on the fly? Is there is there an ability to kind of auto sense, right? I'm, I'm running yeah. low and I need to spin up and I've, so talk to us about yeah. that. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, and so, yeah, what, what you saw um, and, and maybe you saw is there's blue and green. So we have this concept of committed versus actual resource consumption, uh, as well as quotas and tenancies. So, when you define an infrastructure container in CypherPath, yeah, you're defining, you're given a certain quota of CPUs and RAM that you're allowed to use. That is dynamically tunable by the super user. So, you know, if he carved or she carved out a certain amount of resources for you and it turns out you need more, you know, than you need to make the request or, you know, we let the customer handle that in their workflow. Um, but when you have that, that quota given to you, that's committed to you. That's not physically being used by the actual hardware. So then we have the physical consumption and we have performance management where 
now if a certain number of users aren't running all their infrastructure containers, you can get more users on the system, you can run, run more infrastructure containers. Uh, essentially, we're overcommitting the hardware by borrowing against resources that aren't actively being consumed. So at some point, you know, obviously CypherPath can't manufacture physical RAM and resources, but what we can do is we can manage the amount of users and the infrastructure containers and the balance of which that's executing against what hardware it's currently consuming. And one of the unique things that came out of the, the work we've been doing so far is we created a system called LRP. And what LRP does stands for long-running um, processes. If you're exporting an entire infrastructure stack or you're doing some kind of long-running process in CypherPath and you've hit a cap on your physical resources, rather than have all those processes kick on and suck CPUs away from your production workloads, we actually queue those up and allow the super user to look at the queue and say, okay, this has priority and they can rearrange the processes. That means that you've completely just specced out all your hardware, you're consuming you know, all the physical resources and your, your new server that you ordered hasn't come yet. Um, and so then there's the scale out from the hardware side, which is, you know, the more you stack, the more CPU and RAM becomes available to you. So we're really managing, you know, the quotas and the resources and trying to get as much users, as much infrastructure containers as we can, while also balancing the performance, uh, because, you know, you don't want to have somebody come in on a Friday and say, okay, I, I want to back up and export 30 containers and you know there's several gigs in each of those and that comes in and hammers your entire IT deployment so instead we ensure that that can't happen uh, and then also give the super user the ability to know where their performance is at and manage you know the future by ordering additional servers uh, to scale out okay so kind of to that end is there a notion of of QoS within whether it's the from a super user perspective or from the individual infrastructure container? Yeah, so right now, yeah, we report status on our deployment. Um, as far as the QoS within the container, we let you use the tools you want to do that. So um, what I mean by that, you know, is, you know, some customers, maybe they want to use Wireshark, others want to go out and actually purchase a, a commercial QoS tool that will look at all the switching. We provide the access points for that so you can plug it into the infrastructure container and then monitor it. Um, but we don't come in assuming uh, any kind of specific QoS tool or force any QoS tool. We let the customers choose that uh, on a per container basis. And so that, that addresses horizontal QoS, right? Like across the entire de uh, deployment. Um, as you share CPUs and share memory, you said your your actual um, CypherPath software manages, say, um, Brent's VM, which is, you know, he's, he's the noisiest neighbor you've ever had, versus mine gets appropriate quality of service. That's where that's handled from a, a container versus container perspective. Yeah, so, uh, sorry, my QoS I was talking about was on the networking um side. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about, um, yeah, the, the, the hardware and the RAM side. So, um, you know, and that just comes from my focus on the networking, but, you know, we want to ensure that all three elements, the networking, the, the compute and the storage, um, have solid, solid, um, levels of service. So when I was talking about QoS on the networking, you know, making sure that you can monitor the networking the way that you want to is important. 
on the storage side, we look specifically like a lot of uh, storage uh, vendors well at the IOPS and the data coming in and out of the pipes to make sure the storage is well. On the compute side, the way that our hypervisor works, and it's built around KVM, and we chose KVM um, so that we had access to the source code, but we modified it to run in its own namespace, and then we also... Um, have made it seamless to to pull in other uh, formats uh, for wherever we need to accelerate hardware. And what we do there on the compute side is we're really we're threading you know the uh, the infrastructure, the VMs against the physical hardware with the CPU and the RAM. So we can look at the clock cycles and we can look at the CPU loads, and then our system can balance that against how it's laying out the infrastructure. And when I talked about map reduction, since we're looking at the entire IT stack and we know where certain things um, are going to go and we lay that out to you, it's one topology, but to us, or one logical topology, but behind the scenes, Cyberpath may be running some of those resources on different servers. And so we really want to look at the load performance, the CPU performance of the infrastructure containers at scale. And that's some of the magic inside CypherPass OS where it can look at that and say, okay, yeah, we want to ensure that if this CPU is being noisy, that the cycles against the overall physical server are still available against that, that process for that VM and delicately balance that across the stack uh, as well as reduce where we can. So we really want to put you know, resources together uh, if they're meant to function together, but transparently deliver, you know, the networking and, and the CPU cycles and everything as much as possible. Yeah, it makes sense. And you're, by the way, your answer, I could tell as soon as you answered it, you, you uh, defaulted to your network uh, history it was still a great answer but it was uh, I, we, <laughs> yeah. sometimes we always old habits die hard um, so you've For mentioned sure. all these great things right all the way down from like storage level network level all these things as we pull all the way up and you've talked about this a couple of times platform as a service and things like that are you are you is there another thought process inside of cypher path of you th see things like cloud foundry uh, OpenShift and all the other platforms as a service that are coming out and people are consuming at that level. Are you looking at a way to help um, secure or isolate that? And of course, they may argue that it's already secure, but are you looking at ways <laughs> yeah. to, to help isolate that so that the these customers who like what you're offering to their infrastructure can leverage the benefits that that gets from a business outcomes perspective? Is that, uh, or are you more focused on just spreading the IaaS story from an enterprise perspective? Yeah, I think I think it's both of those actually. You know, I mean, we really we we really fundamentally believed um, that you know that we've we've got a way to isolate the IT stack, you know, in our operating system. And what's you know great about that is these other tools can operate inside that just fine and and leverage those benefits, as well as we know you know enterprises have made investments in these tools um, that you've mentioned and and other tools and you know tools that are going to come out tomorrow. And so we also want to be able to integrate with those. And as, you know, CypherPath is scaling, you know, we really believe that, and, and I mentioned earlier, you know, we have a REST API, and I know a lot of these other tools have APIs as well. You know, we'll be able to have, you know, communication layers um, between the tools that, um, you know, are the biggest impacts for our customers and, and that they, they want to have access to and they want to integrate with. And we do that today. Um, you know, we have some customers who are integrating us with, you know, learning management systems, you know, integrating us with other systems, you know, within their infrastructure. Uh, and, and they want to be able to do that. So I think that as, 
you know, we move forward in time and some of these things settle. And since we do have the entire IT stack at our disposable isolated now, you know, if specific market trends and market leaders and tools really kind of appear to to have a good, strong, uh, you know, hold on the market, we'll continue to, to, you know, integrate with them, to partner with them and work with them to the ends that we can help secure um, their environments and give them a, a space to help break into more of the production enterprise. And that's sort of our vision is, you know, we, you know, we're, we're operating in very, very challenging spaces for the federal space. And we're kind of taking the company now, you know, to say, hey, we can, we, we're doing so great here and we're helping out and there's so much value. Let's do that on the commercial enterprise production side as well, you know, and, and get past this reinventing the wheel and, and handing these things out and get this isolated IT stack security into the commercial enterprise space and support those other tools. Uh, so I think as we grow, we will definitely be doing that. And we're, you know, like I mentioned, we're early engaged with uh, partnerships with some of the application containers and some of the, the more modern uh, architectures you're seeing come out. That's awesome. So uh, I know we're, we're towards the end of our time. So we like to also ask a couple of questions. Um, first of all, is there, are there places where CypherPath is going to be presenting, you know, your thought processes, like what you believe the industry should be focused on out there kind of in a, in a group forum, a one-to-many type forum anytime soon? Yeah, I think, um, I think the next one, I know we're going to be at Interopt. Um, so I think we're going to have a discussion at Interopt this year. We're also uh, going to come out, and I can get you guys the link once it comes out. We've got a release coming out that sort of has um, some really cool predictive uh, forward-looking vision that we as a company have seen from our space that's going to come out um, as well. So we're, we're definitely you know, looking forward to that. Uh, and then, um, we were at VMworld this year, uh, and there may be some, some data related to that, but yeah, the big ones coming up are, are definitely some of the announcements, um, with our partnerships, um, but more of the group forum. We also have a user group, uh, that started through Northrop Grumman, uh, and they do that. So for those people on the East coast, uh, if they want to look that up, you know, they can send info and we can get them access to the uh to the northrop grumman user group uh and work through that that's a really great forum um for for people on the east coast uh, and then like i said the next big one we're doing as a company is interops and i, I think based on your uh, security and uh, secrecy background it doesn't look like you're on twitter you're not out you're not into uh, sharing <laughs> yeah. things of the world yourself but uh you are on twitter as a uh, cypher path as well is that correct? yeah we have yeah, we have Twitter as CypherPath, and I'm on LinkedIn. I, uh, you know, obviously with my background, that was one of the areas early on. They told us, you know, you're not supposed to be out, you know, doing the social media thing. So LinkedIn's about the most social I am. However, you know, when I'm out at events, you know, whether it's VMworld, you know, or wherever, you know, I'll do discussions and you know, uh, and handle that. But yeah, the best way for me is LinkedIn, uh, and then CypherPath has. Twitter, uh, and we also have a LinkedIn and a Facebook company page as well. Awesome. And finally, books or blogs or things like that where you'd like to get people kind of thinking, reading, and seeing the things that you're thinking about today, right? So, um, you know, recent books you're doing doesn't have to be nerd-based. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I do have, uh, it, it's not so much a security or networking. It hasn't been released yet, but coming down the pipe, I'm working on a book 
uh, related to the startup scene and, and what it was like to kind of tumble from a research scientist into entrepreneurship, uh, you know, and down that pipe. Uh, so that's something. And when it when it releases, I'll announce that on our website. Uh, and also on our website, we're going to be rolling out a new blog system this month. Uh, we had one previously, uh, but that will be coming down the pipe as well. So there'll be lots of information on our website beyond what's there with what we're doing. Also, there's a news section where uh, you can get announcements on you know what we're doing as a company uh, as we're moving forward. Super cool. Well, again, thank you so much. I know you got a busy day. I bet you're going to go uh, throw a clip-on tie-on and go go help some people consume some <laughs> yeah. uh, infrastructure as a file. Um, so yep. on behalf of the Hot Owl, I'm Brian Carpenter. And I'm Brett Piatti. And Steve, thanks again for all your time today. No problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.